Welcome to Thinking Reimagined. Thinking Reimagined is a unique platform for thoughts provoking intergenerational dialogue in a diverse and inclusive setting with a focus on impactful change in the global workplace and community. Our stakeholders' conversations aim to spark thought, leadership, curiosity, engagement, collaboration, and learning amongst individuals, teams, and beyond. Enjoy, Enjoy this episode. episode and subscribe to Thinking Reimagined on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and other outlets. Hello, everyone. Welcome to yet another episode of the Thinking Reimagined podcast. I am Nifemi Oguntoye. It's good to have you join us again. All right. So today we're talking about something quite interesting. And um, yes. I'm also quite excited about this one because of um, the faces I'm looking at right now. You can hear Dr. Amos' <laughs> voice already. We're looking at the <laughs> issue of um, <laughs> imposter syndrome or what some call yes. uh, perceived fraudulence. Interesting, Dr. Amos. It is. It's a very interesting topic. I've always been fascinated by imposter syndrome um, because although it's not recognized as a medical condition, it is an internal experience that we have. And, uh, you know, research shows, shows that women probably express it more than men, but everybody has gone through a case of um, imposter syndrome. And, it, you know, in all truth, imposter syndrome is when you doubt yourself, you know, when you don't believe that you actually are capable of what you are doing. And so you get this thing that, oh, somebody's going to find out that I really am a fraud or I, I really am not up to snuff. And the reality is it's internal. It's this internal dialogue that you have within yourself. And uh, it's one that can be um, can be mitigated, but at the same time, the skills that, and strategies that you can you can use. But, you know, there's some families where it's a little bit more prevalent because of personalities, you know, the gene pool, all of those things. But I am fascinated by this topic and I'm so glad that we have a wonderful panel. And I think it would be very interesting for us to talk about imposter Absolutely. syndrome. I mean, we've all felt it. I felt it, um, perhaps not to the degree that... Um, I, I do now, but I do sometimes have to ask myself, are you sure? But that moment is not because I don't have the skill set or the ability to do it. It's just, you know, when you have to take those big steps, you have to st sort of stop. But mm -hmm. in all reality, imposter syndrome is a little bit more, um, it's a little bit more nuanced when you start looking at things like perf um, perfection and uh, superwoman, you know, which, which is such a nasty thing to say for a woman or she's been a superwoman, uh, you know, but people use that term or, she, you know, but we need to be careful of the language that you use. But I'm fascinated and I'm looking forward to hearing what our guests have to say mm -hmm. today about this topic. So let's get into it, Nifemi. Absolutely. Like you said, early, early research in this line primarily focused on accomplished and successful women. But of course, mm -hmm. um, it later became clear that imposter syndrome can affect anyone. As a matter of fact, some studies say anywhere between 9 to 82% of people uh, report having thoughts along those lines at some point. Uh, let's um, talk to our panel. Amal Hassan is a leading Nigerian technopreneur who and a Bachelor of Science degree in Business Administrations from Bayer University, Kano. And in 2003, she established the first organized ICT Trading Institute in Kano. Good to see you again, Hassan. Amal Hassan, welcome on the program. Thank you so much. It's, it's good to be here. Great. And I yeah. love your green. Yeah, the color of our country, isn't it? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Thank so you for having me. I like that. <laughs> Thank you, you. You have heard from Dr. Amma, founder, thinking, remarging, allied empowerment, live abundantly, and the list is endless. Um, Dr. Amma needs no introduction. Benny Finisher is here as well. Benny is a poet and an experimental artist. Is that right? 
Very true. Very, very true. I just saw his play in Ifemi and it's fantastic. He does great work. Yeah. I can't imagine that you have imposter syndrome, Benny. Do you? (laughs) No. Or are you hiding? (laughs) Maybe in a subtle way. All right. So let me begin. Let us uh, let us begin with Ama, right? I like us to begin by establishing, for instance, um, helping the listener and the viewer to broaden their understanding of this syndrome, particularly what it is and how you can identify it. I, I think uh, Dr. Ama asked the question if one of the panelists, uh, sorry, I forgot the name, has it. I think that at some point in our lives, <laughs> everyone had it. And it comes, it's off and on, it comes. I remember when I first started the training center, um, it took me a while, even towards the end of the training center where I had to start working toward establishing Outsource, which is the company I run now. Um, I cannot speak in public. Addressing my staff was, a big issue. So what I did at that time, because of that feeling of inadequacy, right? I always feel my English is not good enough. I will not pass, I will not be able to pass the message across very well. Someone else within the team, I remember that there's a guy that we work together. He, I always tell him what I want to pass across (laughs) and he used to come out and pass the message across. It took me really time and experience to actually overcome it. And one day I was sitting down and I thought of the idea of BPO and I was researching about India and how I can do this and how I can establish a BPO in Nigeria. And I was talking to someone about it. And the first thing he told me is Amal. What you're telling me is you're trying to establish a BPO in Nigeria and of all the people that exist, of all the intelligent people that exist in Nigeria, you're the only person that talks about doing this. Do you understand? So I think the society also helps in promoting imposter syndrome. I remember somebody was asking me when I was telling him about what BPO is, how American companies would outsource a segment of their businesses to a Nigerian company or to countries that are less developed and all the story about outsource our company. I mean, uh, establishing a BPO. He, the first thing he told me was, I, when did you start 419? <laughs> <laughs> Do you understand? So. It's, I think the society and even the people around you help promote that. First of all, when you're thinking of an idea and you're thinking this is an idea that can work, there is some chance or a percentage of yourself that doubts that it can happen, right? So you need positive people around you that will think objectively. They they shouldn't look at you the way they knew you because there can be a new you, isn't it? People are always progressing. And one of the things that always promotes that is people look at you based on the way you were instead of based on the way you're progressing, right? Why that person thought of me and said of all the intelligent people, because he knew me as a small girl and he's still looking at me that way. He has forgotten the fact that I have evolved. Uh Do you understand? And if I had listened to to all of them, outsource would not be where it is today. I wouldn't have thought of. And I think one of the things that really helped me to overcome it was the fact that I stopped thinking less of myself because I realized that there is only one being that can actually stop me. And that's God. (laughs) 
And I just keep pushing. The idea is there, it looks good, I can do it. Once I give my 100%, I rely 100% on the one who created the world. So I always tell myself the Bill Gates became Bill Gates from somewhere, but Mark Zuckerberg became Mark Zuckerberg from somewhere, right? So I can be that if I work so hard and I rely on God to actually help me. So that's really removes everything from you. You just keep trying. You, you just know that no one can stop you. You know, the second thing is the feeling of imperfection is assumed. I don't know how much time I have, but I can continue talking until you stop me. <laughs> the feeling of imperfection is people see other people as perfect. People believe that they are perfect human being or they're more intelligent human being. But how I over, how I actually, what really helped me was I realized that everybody has their strength and everybody has their weaknesses, right? So nobody is perfect. And my strength can be your weakness and your weakness can be my, my, my 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 strength i mean my yours your 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 strength can be my weakness and that is why the world i mean that is why in a company you see people collaborating you have different ideas that is why they said two heads are better than one because we all are not perfect so if you realize and you believe you come to that realization nobody is perfect Indeed. and the third thing is if you make mistakes, it's okay to make it. <laughs> it's okay to make mistakes. So when I got up, when I get up to speak, I'm not thinking of, you know, I'm going to make grammatical errors or people are not going to buy into the idea that I, I even make mistakes sometimes deliberately because I want to show people I really don't care, <laughs> you know, if I make mistakes because I'm not perfect. And I always tell my teams, you know, you guys are so, so much better than me. You know, I'm not as, as intelligent as you because when you are, you, you, you found, when you're leading a team, they always look at you as, you know, somebody that is perfect. So I always show them that I'm not perfect so that it can promote them and uh, it, can, it can get them to think of their weaknesses and promote their strength, you know, right. the human being. So, so let, me, let me try to stop you now <laughs> because um, <laughs> you seem quite passionate about this and I know that you can keep talking. I mean, you have a lot to tell us. Yeah. However, I heard you say that there was a time when you could not speak to your staff members. Yeah. Uh, um, I'm going to come back to you after speaking to someone else about whether it was a function of capacity and ability to address them, or it was just born out of the fear or the feeling of your inability to make it happen. But Dr. Ama, I'd like you to speak to the thin yes. line between um, objective criticism of one's capacity and the imposter syndrome, because I've also seen many people who are so full and proud of themselves, but it's just that when you see their work, you can tell that it needs a lot of work. So how do you know when this is you being too hard on yourself or this is you telling yourself the truth? So here's the thing about imposter syndrome. It's internal. It's an internal thing that occurs within you. Many people suffer from imposter syndrome and cannot speak about it. And so they internalize it because it's a sense of, I don't want to use the word inadequacy, but it's a sense of, um, I don't deserve what's coming. I don't know if I really am capable or if they do something well, it's like, are you sure I did it? I'm sure there's a there's something that's not quite there together in, in it. it. It's really this um, belief that you don't deserve what you're achieving or you're not capable of achieving something or you are not the person who has done something. 
or you just can't do it. Even though you have all of the skills, all of the education, you question yourself. So it's an internal dialogue. And very often people with imposter syndrome, they will be in a group and they may say a few things here and there, but what they really want to express doesn't come through because they're concerned that if they were to say that, it may not, they may, they may be speaking out of tune and out of terms. And then people will know that the the that they've created a facade that does not accurately represent them. So they suffer with anxiety, whether it's anxiety to speak or anxiety to show the work. Um, you know, there've been studies done where you have girls and boys doing computer learning coding. And you will see that the boys, when it's time to show their work, they're eager to show the work that they've done in their coding. Even in universities, we've seen this, you know, they will do the homework and they'll go to the professor and say, well, I've actually done this, but I am stuck somewhere. With girls, they will either crumble the paper and say, well, it's not finished, so it's not done. And they throw it away because they're not sure about what they want to present or they will go and say, well, it's not done. So it's that doubt, it's an internal doubt that you have to overcome. And very often the way that it presents itself is that this need to be perfect. You know, If I am perfect, then nobody knows that I have imposter syndrome. The reality as Amal said is nobody is perfect. You know, there are things that we don't all know about, and there's some things that we do know about. So people try to hide their, imp their imposter syndrome by presenting a facade of perfection or by presenting a facade of being a superwoman or a superman. But underneath that, the inadequacies are there, which is what you were speaking about, Nifemi. So you look at it and you say, well, everything looks so well put together. If you were to come to know them, you will realize that they've got some things that they were, in, they were dealing with. There's a bit of social anxiety. There's a, there's, there are other factors underneath it that come through. And then you have those who want to work on their own independently, the soloists, you know, I, I can do this on my own. I don't want to be part of a team. Again, it's, they may have this imposter syndrome. So by working independently, nobody knows where the gaps are. Nobody can question them. They give you what they've done. And then you realize, oops, there are gaps here. Rather than I'm struggling with this, but it's not, a, it is not a, an expression of what I can or cannot do. It's not about your ability. It's about being confident to say, this is where I need some help. This is what I'm, I'm concerned about. Um, going out and speaking, Amal was very honest. You know, she'll have somebody else speak on her behalf. She knew exactly what she wanted to transmit to others. Yeah, I want them to know this, that, and the other. But I'm not comfortable within me. I don't know that I can do it. The truth of the matter is she can do it. She's doing it right now on a live LinkedIn. So she's built that muscle where she knows that that is my doubt and I can come forward and I don't need to be afraid with what I am presenting. I own this knowledge. I own this expertise and I can express myself. And speaking of experts, they're those who, you know, they're speaking and you think everything is perfectly said, you know, and then you realize, oh, well, you know, what you're saying really doesn't make any sense. Sometimes they're hiding their imposter, I don't know how Mal is laughing, <laughs> they're hiding their imposter syndrome because how else do you present yourself if you're not fully in ownership of what you own and your skill set? So, mm -hmm. it, you know, it's it's a very interesting thing, imposter syndrome, but if you, if, if you can get people to have the confidence, the confidence to be able to admit that they're dealing with that feeling that anxiety that awkwardness that comes up where they're doubting that they are capable of doing something or achieving something um it, it makes a difference you know I, I know men who are dealing with imposter syndrome but I promise you when you see them they put up a, a bold oh I, I, I'm the expert I, I can do this but privately they say oh god you know I, I, every day before I open my mouth, I, I, I'm thinking a hundred things and I'm and I really have to talk myself into it. 
rather yeah. than let me just be myself and say, I know this and I don't know this and this is what I'm struggling with. So there are things that you can do to help people with imposter syndrome. But I think there has to be an awareness that you have this sensation, this feeling um, that you don't, this experience is really is an experience, an internal experience that people have where they doubt themselves, where they're afraid that people would think that they're 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 a fraud, they, that they may be fake, that they're not really in ownership of their own knowledge and skills and abilities. Absolutely. You took that from my mouth. I was almost going to say it's either men don't have imposter syndrome or they are not man enough to acknowledge it. Um, um, Benny is here. I like to speak to Benny about this. The the tendency to always doubt your abilities, a feeling of self-doubt and personal incompetence that persists irrespective of your accomplishments is what this imposter syndrome is actually talking about. So, so you are a writer. I, I had one of your piece, um, uh, one of your poems in our previous episode, and I think it was fantastic when you were talking about, it's all about the mind. Is this an experience that you've had or is this something you've overcome over the years? Yeah, thank you. Um, it's, it's a combination of uh, my experience and hearing other people's experiences. Um, we live in a world where there's certain expectations that uh, uh, they have of you. Um, you hear things like you can't do it because you don't look like this. You are not uh, of this gender. You are not from this place. Um, who will listen to you if you can't speak this way? And it's surprising that the people that even come up with this um, uh, so-called rules of engagement or, or rules of uh, rules of um, uh, on how you live life. Uh, actually trying to make you conform to their own ways. Because by the time you check it, you'll be surprised that some of them you can even do better. So, but once you are suppressed, once your gender is suppressed, once your ability is suppressed, you don't even feel like you're doing anything. So oftentimes when I hear people say things like the butterfly in my belly before I talk or before I do certain things, I think it's really about you uh, questioning or belittling your abilities or thinking, oh, what I'm about to do, what I'm about to say might not be. Is it going to be good enough for the person who is listening? Is this going to be good enough for this person I'm presenting it to? So, and as a man, we, we deal with that silently because most of the things men deal with, they would rather not talk simply because the society has um, assumed that if you're a man, you should be able to do practically everything. And right. you don't want to be seen as, um, uh, as um, less of a man. So you try to put up that front and say, yeah, I've got this covered. I've got this covered. And, but behind closed doors, you know what you're dealing with. So I don't think it's a problem to say, yeah, I'm not perfect. And you are not even meant to be perfect. You're just meant to be human enough to accept what you can control and what you can control, ask for help. Mm. So there's nothing wrong. It's not a weakness asking for help. You need help. Hello. You're already weak, so ask for help. So uh, basically what the society do is, um, society does a lot to... Uh, make the uh, imposter syndrome thrive uh, but in the in, in the secret places so mm -hmm. we see people walking around being who they are not till life shakes them then there's an explosion so that's it basically you know, interesting it's interesting listening to what benny is saying because i was just thinking about imposter syndrome i mean whilst we're talking about the feeling of doubt and fear and consciousness that you may not be adequate. We also have to remember that uh, there are those with imposter syndrome who are overachievers, you know, because they have that feeling, then they, they want to achieve even more. They push 
to achieve even more. And in some times they can even sabotage their own success because they can't believe that that could be theirs. And we have to keep that in mind because um, yes, societies, families can play a role in how you deal with your imposter syndrome. But you as a person, because of the depth of anxiety that you feel at certain mm -hmm. times, that anxiousness, that concern, that, that fear, you can even sabotage the good things that you're doing because of the of the um the intensity of that feeling. So it it is important for those who have imposter syndrome to be aware of it. Um, you know, you talked about having butterflies in your stomach before you come out because you're you're in doubt. I, for one, when I go out to speak, I do get butterflies in my stomach. I mean, I think anyone who works with me knows that. But for me, those butterflies, the intensity of the butterflies I get actually tells me if I am ready for what I'm about to do. I actually welcome it because it's a source of energy for me. It really is. The more intense it is, the more I'm about to take off on whatever I'm going to do. When it's mild, it's like, hmm, are you sure you're ready? But when it's intense, I use it as the energy to come out on stage or to come to the podcast and just say what I need to say. The moment I open my mouth, it's gone. It is yeah, absolutely right. gone. Um, but it's... I harness it in a different way, but I can see how we can prevent others from speaking. But um, but that is a form of anxiety that I, I use positively. But I think we should also remember that um, there are two sides to imposter syndrome, the, the questioning yourself and pushing yourself to over to overachieve to the point where it can be detrimental to your health. To the point where it can bring on depression, you know, or oh, I'm not enough, or I'm not adequate, or I'm just so exhausted. Nobody, nobody sees what I am doing, but yet you are doing things, and and we need to sort of um, come to terms with what is all right and what is sufficient for each of us, and to address the anxiety and the depression that could come with imposter syndrome. In the Dr. Emma. This is the Thinking Reimagined podcast, sponsored by Allied Empowerment. Allied Empowerment Consultancy offers leadership and innovation through bespoke human development solutions, brain-based leadership, and coaching. Allied Empowerment empowers business leaders, teams, and individuals to intentionally accentuate desired outcomes built on trust, curiosity, psychological safety, engagement, and communication. Allied Empowerment thriving in a sustainable and valued manner. I speak for a living and I'm amazed when people say the reason why I can't stand up to speak in the group is because of stage fright. And I'm like, come on. I feel the fright every single time I pick the mic to speak. Yes. It's just that mm -hmm. I don't remember that it's there when I start talking. So yeah. I... I, I <laughs> I get, I get exactly what you're saying, Dr. Amma, that uh, we must be able to face those fears and move on irrespective of anxieties. I'd like us to begin to speak to what we can do differently. Amal, I, um, for instance, the role that um, bias plays in um, the imposter syndrome of a thing. Research consistently suggests that um, while yes, anyone can experience these feelings, they tend to show up more often in women and people of color. In other words, people who are generally, who generally have less representation in professional environments. Uh, perhaps you can speak to um, women who are pioneers in certain fields and industries like yourselves and, and the things you have done to be able to overcome this and forge ahead. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And that's a very good one. I think it's more prominent, yes, in women and uh, in, in other societies. We do have different colors here. We only have one color, so I can only <laughs> speak to... That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so uh, well, that's not true. So as in... 
<laughs> no, in Nigeria, we, we, I think it's, uh, okay, so maybe different tribes and different cultures, right? Um, so what's, what is really happening is I think the way women are treated right from the time, uh, right from childhood, right? Right from childhood, men are given certain, women are given certain chores and men are given certain choice. And when you look at it from that point in time, you have already segregated them. You give more bigger jobs to the guys and smaller and menial house jobs to the women. And once you do that, it is automatically assumed that the girl is less than the boy, right? And that feeling continues when you go into a work environment, you're the only woman in tech. For instance, myself, in most of the boards that I have participated, you know, I'm still on, uh, there are very few women, or I'm the only woman in most cases, in some cases, I mean, most cases, uh, you, you tend to think that because of this, then you are not supposed to be there because the majority of women are not there, <laughs> right? And if they're not there, then what are you doing here? I remember after setting up uh, outsource and we've gone live, uh, I was trying to keep it quiet because I know the Nigerian factors. So the U.S. ambassador visited our office one day, uh, you know, a long story how he came and he wrote a story about me and the story of outsource. And I remember reading it at that time and I showed it to my husband and I was saying to him, he thinks I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> and my husband was like, you are good. You have done something remarkable. You've done something great, you know. And that has no bearing over whether, it's not because I'm a woman or I'm a guy. <laughs> it's because I have just done that. That's right. And that's why when, when I first started speaking, I said, there is no color. They shouldn't be. They should be human beings. And I only recognize one, human beings. Yes, they're female and male. We come, we are, we are, we, we are tall and we're short. <laughs> we have different, but we are all unique in our own way. There shouldn't be any segregation. There, is, there shouldn't be any differentiation. That's what I'm trying to say, right? So, and when you're trying to sell, I told you the, the first uh, uh, time I spoke, I said I was trying to sell an idea to someone. And I remember hearing about a research that says women are less, have less chance, like a percentage, I can't remember what the percentage of getting investment than men, right? Because it is automatically assumed that we lack capacity to run something big. And people, investors, would rather invest in a guy than actually in a woman. So when I was trying to get investment and I started, I remember, I remember I started the company so many times, and most of the problems I've heard in the beginning starting and failing was because my partners at the time, my investors at the time, even though I brought the idea and I have the technical know-how, <laughs> we've, we've gotten a whole, uh, we did a lot of, a, a whole research. I did a whole research on how to set up a BPO, you know, to compete with India and all that. In so many cases, they don't believe, they don't listen. <laughs> this is the way to do it. This is what the research said, the best way to do it. And an investor is saying, no, do it like this. But I'm the expert. <laughs> um, yeah, this is my idea. I've done the research. 
how how come you know you're not listening to me because this is the best way we can succeed and so many times i had to start the company over and over again because of this kind of issues and it all boils down to that right people feel you are inadequate people think you you lack the capacity so even if you have the idea you can't take the company forward even if you did the research, you can't take it to greatness. You don't, you're not, you're not less than that. So that's why what's like of all the people, of all the population in Nigeria, of all the intelligent people in Nigeria, you are the only person that thought of doing this here. Because he cannot believe that somebody like me can think, a woman like me can think about doing that so 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 really it's very very challenging to women and i think we're pushed into having the syndrome because the society treats us like that and oftentimes you start believing what people are saying you start believing what people i got the i started getting the confidence to speak when uh, I told you when I had the training center, I speak to people one on one. But whenever they have a whole team, <laughs> I will I will talk to my colleague and I said, Casey, tell them this, 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 this. This is what we are trying to address, and all that and all that. And he would get up and address it, address it. Why? Because address them. Sorry. Why? Because I believed at that time they would not believe me. Or they would not, I would not be able to pass the message across to them the way he will pass the message. Up. It wouldn't be accepted the way it would have been accepted if it was me, right? But after I started speaking and people started talking about me and I got into uh, the outsourcing business and they started, I can speak to you one-on-one, -on -one, but whenever there's a crowd, and there's always that fear. Yes, that butterfly is still there every day. You just push despite it, but you get to that position because of different experiences you've had. You are less. The, the entire society pushes you, the way they react to you, the way they talk to you, pushes you. So how do we overcome it? First, you believe. <laughs> You know, you look at different people that have succeeded. How do they succeed? You're not different from them. We're all human beings. We have our weaknesses. We have our strengths. Starting with bringing up children, you have to address them in the same way. You have to address a girl and a boy in the same way. There's no difference. You have to share chores in the same way. I shouldn't be cleaning in the kitchen while he's doing something like gardening outside, <laughs> you know, taking care of the flowers while I'm washing plates, <laughs> you know, there should be one. Today you're doing the kitchen, tomorrow you're doing the, the, the flowers, you know. So starting from that, it has to change. And then when people, people there should be education, you know, I, I, because of my experiences, I've experienced so much of this that I try as much as possible to change that with the people around me. When we are doing promotion, we don't put, that's why we have more women than men in leadership positions in outsource. We are, we are currently 1,027 employees. We have TL supervisors, managers, and all that. The reason why we change the way we recruit is because people, women, do not have confidence to speak. Just like me, I didn't have confidence <laughs> to speak because I felt people would not know that I have something or would not believe. I know I have it. It's not an issue of incapacity. I know I have what I have and I have some, I don't have certain things. And with what I have, I can succeed with it, right? But I won't be able to say it. I won't be able to, to, to explain it because I just believe that they won't believe me. So how we change that 
in a recruitment is we we actually do a, seven different exams testing <laughs> you know interview is the last part of our recruitment and it just carries five percent and we found out recruiting more women than men Wow. <laughs> so so and then the same thing in leadership position we, we 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 don't we don't open positions for interviews no it's based on performance how you're performing and all that i'll hear something once in a while where a manager is saying well, she doesn't have the managerial experience everybody has to start somewhere isn't it? She has good performance. That's good enough for me. She can develop that managerial experience. And that's how we push people to do to, to, to leadership positions. And oftentimes they come and tell me, I can't believe you. You believe that I can do this. But I always believe that people evolve. And I shouldn't be judging everybody by where they are. Because when I put them in that position, I just need them to have a certain requirement to get to that position. And then the rest they learn on their own, they get pushed on their Absolutely. own. You know. Absolutely. It looks like, it looks like uh, Mr. Boyo. Peter is joining us from London. Hello, Peter, are you there? Welcome. Hello, I'm sorry I'm late. I'm having connection problems. Um, apologies. Hello, everyone. Sorry to interrupt. Quite all right. Go ahead, Amal, are you finished? Because I no, wanted I... to take, pick up from something that Amal um, stated when she started and she talked about biases. There is absolutely no, I, no doubt that there are biases against women um, in the workplace, actually everywhere, let's be honest. There are biases and the lack of representation of women in certain areas or positions also means that um, if you're suffering from imposter syndrome, it will be even that much more heightened because you don't have anyone that you're looking to or you can see that represents you. So bias and representation are important. But I do believe that if you have imposter syndrome, it's important that you, you recognize it and you understand it and that you can speak to it when you're around people so that they can support you in overcoming it. If you, if you have a challenge with speaking and you don't bring the right people in to support and encourage you to speak, then you wouldn't be able to do it. If you've got a brilliant idea and you don't feel psychologically safe in a community, in a family, in the workplace to speak, then you're likely not to come out and say those kinds of things. But I do believe that for those who um, suffer from, or should I say struggle, I don't want to use the word suffer, for those who struggle with imposter syndrome, that um, celebrating your successes, no matter how small, the fact that you can do something and accomplish it should be celebrated. We all should celebrate the little and the big things. We tend to wait for the big things, but you should celebrate and acknowledge the small things because you start to build the resilience and you start to bring the tempo to acknowledge what you can do. I find that many people rely on external acknowledgement of their accomplishments as opposed to internally. If you can internally acknowledge that you've done something well, that you have the capability and the ability to do it, then waiting for that external acknowledgement is, is, is just um, the icing on the cake. It's, you know, I, I know when I've done something well, I know when I've passed an exam, I know when things are going well. It's, I'm not waiting for an external. And I know that Benny is probably the same way. You know, he goes out there, he's got his performance, he does it. The accolades and the support is just the re, I don't know, Benny might have an, another phrase that he wants to use to describe that, but you know when you've got it. And that comes from an internal barometer that we should develop and very critical for those who um, deal with imposter syndrome is to recognize that internal um, barometer. But I also think that those, and all of us actually, with imposter syndrome, it becomes even more vital for you to have um, self-compassion, compassion for yourself. 
Um, that that is something that we don't talk about very often, you know. Um, and I'm not talking about pity. Forget about pity. Pity is an it's an emotion. Um, it's a feeling. All of those things you can talk about. Um, well, is pity an emotion or a feeling? Mm, it's a it's a feeling. I pity myself. But the reality is, you should really focus on um, self compassion. And to cultivate self-compassion is to recognize that you're doing your best, that you are capable, that you struggle, that you may have failures. Um, when you deal with um, imposter syndrome and you fail, you short, you fall short of the goals or the standards that you set for yourself. The fall is that much more greater than when you're not dealing with it and you fail and you can say, well, I didn't do so well on that, but I can learn for it. For a person with imposter syndrome, they almost can go into a depression and this this, this deep thinking that now everybody knows that I, I can't do it, I'm not capable. So creating a threshold where you can build resilience and begin to cope with imposter syndrome, I think is very critical, but um, much of it is an awareness and, and a sense of compassion and being able to express yourself and talk to others about what you're feeling and um, to share your failures, but not to see them as failures. But as we said in an earlier podcast, to see failures as opportunities, they're opportunities in when we fail. It's an opportunity to, to grow, to develop, to improve, to rethink, to find solutions. And, and that is very simple, very important. And um, and to also accept where we are. We very often do not accept where we are. We're so busy comparing ourselves to others or creating standards that are beyond where we should be attaining at that moment in time. So um, I, th I think realistic achievements, realistic intentions. I'm going to use the word intentions. Um, but to be aware of our intentions and what it is we're trying to achieve, because that will give us a greater sense of fulfillment and reduce the case of imposter syndrome, which comes with anxiety when you don't achieve the standards that you have set for yourself, that sense of imperfection or being a superwoman or being the genius or, you know, all of those things that come to play. Benny, how wow. do you feel when you, when you go on stage? Are you, uh, are you waiting for the accolades or internally you already know that you've got it? Uh, you, oftentimes before I get on stage, I, I give myself the accolade back home before I get on stage. So if it doesn't come, so I really don't rely on what comes. But the only thing I rely on is um, feedbacks. I love feedbacks. I need to know if someone connected with what I just did or said. Uh, it doesn't have to be a lot of people, even if it's just one person. That's it for me. So once I get on stage, I'm just reenacting what I've already seen myself do. So, and that's just it for me. So, uh, and there are times some feedbacks uh, really hurt, but that doesn't break me. It might hurt, but it shouldn't break. And so I just, I just move on and pick the things I need to pick to make adjustments and let it go. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So for you, everything comes internally. You're not waiting for the external. Yeah. No, I'm not. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, um, Peter just joined us. Do you want, to, do you have something you want to say regarding imposter syndrome? Have you ever um, felt imposter syndrome? Now we're curious. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if mine is imposter syndrome, but I'll just give you a little history of, it started when I was much younger and I used to be smart. And um, I used to be teased to and called <laughs> teacher's pet. So I used to try not to excel on purpose because I didn't want to be teased. And I kind of grew up with that notion that I shouldn't um, shine or I shouldn't succeed in a lot of things because I don't want to overshadow anyone. So, um, I mean, I've grown out of that now, trust me. I don't have any problem with that. but. That's like a background history of what used to happen to me. And I'm sure there's a lot of people like that. So I don't know if that's imposter mm -hmm. syndrome or something else. Um, but I don't, yeah, I don't have any problem with um, failure because failure is a part of success and success is don't fail. So um, 
Yeah, I took that line from, you know, but um from my book. <laughs> <laughs> but um seriously, um I don't have a problem with um doing well or with failure because everything is a process. You 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 enjoy success when you experience failure and you um know failure when you experience success. So everything is a learning process for me. I don't know if that makes sense. It does. It does. I, I like us to begin to drive this conversation home. I also love the fact that we've talked about um, how we've picked this up of growing up. Um, for instance, academic success in childhood could also have contributed to imposter feelings later in life when you're used to succeeding and then you, you get to a higher institution or a higher place of learning and you're shocked at how difficult it is for you to comprehend. And I think someone also mentioned earlier how this could have contributed to, you know, maybe a halt in the creative process. Some people just procrastinate because they find it difficult and they don't want to ask, they don't want to talk to anyone about it. They don't want to seek help. They just feel that they have to be perfect. There's also um, the implication of how children are brought up. And I just want us to touch briefly on that. Yes, can I say something real quick? Um, yes, please. As, as children, we're taught. Well, that connect. we definitely need to send MTN over there, don't we? Main I'm one. You. Main one. <laughs> Main one, that's right. Main one is on its way to you in London. <laughs> so, so, while we wait for Peter Abbott Boyer to reconnect, I'd like us to speak to how we can contribute to imposter feelings in our children as parents. Um, I've heard some say you might develop imposter syndrome if your parents pressured you to do well in school, compared you to your siblings, or they were controlling or overprotective of you, emphasizing your natural intelligence and also in some way perhaps um, sharply criticizing your mistakes. How can we begin to focus our energy right raising children so that we do not make these deposits in them? We can do that briefly and we can wrap up. Well, I think Amal, Amal actually alluded to this, that accepting people as human beings, accepting that each person comes with their own gifts and talents and abilities and encouraging that and, and allowing them to develop those. When you start to compare, you really do start to create the atmosphere for imposter syndrome. When you overemphasize, excuse me, the ability of one child versus the other, when you don't take the time to understand or to give to children some of the tools or the parameters for them, to, to focus on what they want to do. You know, I, I have a great concern in Nigeria because everybody wants their child to be a doctor, a lawyer, and, and they push certain subjects or certain um, professions when you can clearly see that the child's ability lies somewhere else in the arts or in crafts, or you, you can see it if you pay attention. And, and when you start to do that, you're making the child feel inadequate. You're making the child question their own natural gifts and talent. We shouldn't do that. We should encourage them and look to see where do they shine? Where do they thrive? Where is their natural um, talent? And grow that because that's how you build confidence. Um, and from there, they're able to go into any setting whether it's school or work or community and express themselves and, and get on with what it is they want to do. But very often, you know, by the time the child is born, the parent already knows what child, that, oh, that child's going to be a doctor, that child's going to be, no, let the child be, don't compare. And when you're in schools, I think that there should be a, di a diversity in the learning, uh, in the teaching styles and recognizing that we all learn differently. And also in the instructional, not instructional, in, in the um, delivery style, in the, in the types of homework that you give. 
You know, it shouldn't all be the same style of homework. Um, I, I think I've shared this story before. When I was in school, you know, very briefly, we were in Nigeria in the 70s and in secondary school, um, this teacher had a flower that everybody had to draw. And what I drew was not what I, what he was expecting. And for that, he failed me. And I thought, what, the, what, what is this? Because I didn't draw the... So basically he will put a flower and then put up his own painting of a flower. And in my mind, because I've just come from abroad where you draw what you see, I drew what I saw. Everyone else in the class knew that they should be drawing what he put, not the flower, but his diagram. I drew the flower. He wanted the diagram to be replicated. I failed that they passed. I'm very creative. Anybody who knows me knows that. Did it disturb me? No. Did I for a moment doubt that I was not creative? Just for a little bit. And then I was able to move past because I had a father who said, your assignment was to draw that flower. That's what she drew. And if everybody else's flower looks like yours, which is what you provided, then who is right? Who followed the brief on what to do? So I, I was glad to have a father that was like that, that could advocate for me and go to school and say, no, 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 you know, just give her a zero and call it that she never even took it rather than give her eight. Yeah, the teacher gave me 8%, which is actually my favorite number till today. So it's those kinds of things. I know Amal is love. It's those kinds of things that we do to our children, particularly to our girls that allow this sense of inadequacy or doubt of, um, fear of comparison to continue to stem and then they end up in a workplace where they're not sure if they fit in or don't fit in if they can speak or if they can't speak if what they say will be valued or not valued or, uh, uh, and uh, am I successful or not successful and do I deserve the success that I have anybody who has any success of any sort um, should celebrate it and deserves to celebrate it and it should be celebrated and families shouldn't just celebrate the child that comes first second or third celebrate the child who came 15th in the class because guess what maybe that is the best of their ability at that moment and you never know where they're going to be that's my thought yeah uh, absolutely beautiful Amal yeah I think I think uh, I think she has captured almost everything, but what I will add regarding parenting is we don't, we always tell our children what to do. So it gives them the impression that they are not adequate to, to think for themselves. So as they're growing up, we're telling them what to do. Just like Dr. Ahmad said, <laughs> you know, you tell them to be lawyers, you tell them to be doctors, to be engineers, but we are not nurturing their, their capabilities, bringing out, asking them for their ideas when we are talking to them. So when you're talking to a child, you need to, we need to change the way we are parenting, especially in Africa. We always dictate to the children. And when you dictate to the children, when you dictate to the teenagers, they grow up waiting for somebody to tell them who they are or what to do. But what we are trying to change now is to ask them for their opinion. This is what I feel is right. What do you think? This is why I think this is not right. What is your thoughts on this? I remember my last child came back and told me that she doesn't like her school and all that, and she was crying. And I was asking her why she doesn't like the school. She mentioned a few things, but one of the th things that stood out is she was telling me they don't take her opinion. The school does not listen to her advice. And my, my, my aunt was beside her. She was like, they are not taking your advice. You are 13 years old and you're waiting for them. So, and I, I promoted that and I told her, yes, they need to listen to you. You need to tell them what you feel they're doing <laughs> that is affecting your learning. You need to speak up. You need to, that was right. So, but I allowed my, my auntie to go before I told her she was right. She should be able to tell them, to advise them 
on how to make her do her work better. And I think that's one of the things we need to really change from the onset. We need to allow children to think. Yes, maybe when they're one, you do whatever it is that needs. But as they're growing up, the moment they start speaking, you, you need to start asking them for their opinion. You need to start asking them if what you're doing if they have a different perspective. And that way they will not grow up feeling, I need to be told what to do. I need to be told who I am. Because that's really an underlying problem as well. In addition to, I think Dr. Amal um, captured almost everything that is there, but uh, that's just what I want to add. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Benny, are you still there? Let's have your final thought on this. Uh, well, I, I think I'm going to say, based on how I was raised, my I was raised by a father who who believes uh, a child should have an opinion, and no matter what is going on, you should be able to say something, and which he I was dealt with for. A long time for not speaking and for not uh, is is very is it's surprising to him that uh, what I do right now has to do with um, speaking and saying so much, <laughs> and uh, he surprised me at my play last weekend. It was there on Saturday, on Sunday morning. I was shocked. Oh. He came all the way. And I'm like, you didn't tell me you were coming. So yeah, I needed to see the last time. Okay, because. My first show ever was in 2002. So I'm like this 20 years later, I say, I have to see, I saw the first, I have to see this one. So he didn't tell me, it was very, very surreal. I appreciated that, but it's of the opinion that you should be able to speak up. Even if he has um, an opinion, I should have a mind to, and just reach an agreement and understand why um, something is being done and what you need to understand why I did what I did and not just, feel or because an elder says this you should accept it as this but then he told me you have to find ways to communicate that so it doesn't come out disrespectful it doesn't come out um, as um, you uh, knowing more than the person because we we live in a society culture where you don't talk back to your elders and there's a difference between talking back and talking with <laughs> and sharing your opinion, airing your opinion. So, yeah, so it's, it's, it's never been a problem. And I've, I've been in a situation where now young people, younger people, toddlers and adolescents are very outspoken. So they tend to share their opinions and say things how they see it and how they want it. And you don't, you know, we are not supposed to see it as uh, being disrespectful. You should see it as that they also have brain so they need to use that brain. They are not robots. So you, even if you have a pet in the house, when the pets behave somehow, a much more human being, you need to understand why this person is doing this and meet the person at the person's level and try to help. Uh, so that, that's just it, basically. <laughs> Thank you. Darling. Well, I am going to say this as we get ready to wrap up. Um, it is very important with imposter syndrome and for any other... Um, condition that people might be dealing with is that we we must acknowledge people as human beings we must acknowledge the inherent worth that what people are what they bring to the table um, and I and as I said earlier it's really important for us to be realistic in the intentions I'm not using the word standards or goals but I'm using the word intentions that we set forth for ourselves so that we can have measures of success that we recognize internally without waiting for an external acknowledgement of what we can and have done. And we should celebrate our wins. When we succeed, we should celebrate it so that we own it rather than waiting for others to acknowledge it. Uh, but most importantly, I, I do think that um, compassion it's not a word that's used very often, but it's a word that's really important. Let's have compassion for ourselves and others and not judge, because that will help us in dealing with imposter syndrome, in owning it, in, in the ability to express it, 
and the ability to um, subdue it and overcome it in the long run. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. I'm just finding out we had uh, two Amas on the show on his fondly called Dr. Amma <laughs> and yeah. Amal. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Uh, Peter yeah. Amadouyo uh, did not get back. We, we perhaps will export some technology from Lagos to London to help him stay. <laughs> Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, this has been a great conversation, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope that you will come back again. Thank you very And much. Benny, did you have a poem that you wanted to share before we end? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no okay all right then well thank you so much for being here and uh hopefully when amal comes to lagos and you have another production she'll be able to um, be in the audience i will sure. love recording for status if that can be shared that'll be good yeah sure well, you can find him online he's online definitely yeah. yes we'll do good. Yeah. That's thank you everyone nifemi as always most grateful for having you as uh, what can I say, co-anchor, although sometimes you know you 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 hold the mantle as we as we get into heated discussions. But thank you for being here. And of course, it's youth day, so I must acknowledge um Dune and Hawa, Benny. Well, Benny, you're no longer a youth, sorry. You pass that now. <laughs> and if I mean thank you so much, everyone. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a lovely day. Bye-bye. This has been a Thinking Reimagined podcast. The executive producer is Dr. Amma. Co-producer Peter Amon Boyle. And it is moderated by Nifemi Okuntoye. The podcast is edited by Nelkan and supervised by Dun Sokwa. Thinking Reimagined emphasizes the importance of transformational conversations which have as their aim the bringing about of the rich diversity of thoughts and most importantly, powerful and applicable effective solutions and change. The views, opinions and contributions of the panelists are exclusively theirs and do not reflect the opinions of Thinking Reimagined producers or personnel. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening, listening and we, we hope you have enjoyed, enjoyed this episode. episode. We invite you to subscribe to Thinking Reimagined on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play and other outlets. We look forward to presenting another riveting episode next week. Thinking Reimagined podcast is produced by Live Abundantly. We welcome your thoughts and invite you to visit our website livesabundantly.com or you can follow us on social media on live abundantly 8 thinking, thinking reimagined changing, changing the, mindset the mindset for a better global, global society, society.